the path that we have chosen so far is not necessarily the best one or the worst one. We could have made complete different decisions a few years ago that will have put us in a complete alternate uh, reality right now. This is Designing for Humanity, a podcast by SY Partners about designing a future that's made for all of us and the best in us. I'm Rhi Norgard, and I'm talking with some of the most interesting people I know about how we as designers can tackle the most complex challenges our society faces right now. How can we use design to reimagine the ways we interact with each other and with the world? I'm here to start the conversation about what new ways of thinking and methods are needed. I'm really excited to have Marty Romances joining me here today to talk about designing interfaces for futures that don't yet exist. Marty is currently the creative director at Territory Studios. He brings to life characters and stories in some of the world's most popular films and video games. If you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, Blade Runner, or The Martian, you've seen his work. He uses design and storytelling as a vehicle for painting pictures of different futures and convinces us, the viewers, to believe in them too. I can't wait to learn more about his creative process and where he gets his inspiration. Marty, welcome. No, thank you. As someone who is tasked with meeting the vision of a director or production designer and then actually filling out the rest of the picture that's on the screen, how does that come together for you? I remember you told me specifically about how Ridley Scott communicates his ideas in a really precise way that translates into a jumping off point for you and your team. Ridley is, is one very specific example on how visually or with a quick sketch you can translate an idea that you have in your mind. He's a graphic designer. He started with that. And you can tell because all of the scripts that we have from him come with plenty of sketches next to each scene and not only for him to imagine the composition from a camera but also for us to understand how he wants certain graphics and how he imagines. Sometimes you just need to get uh, into their head because what we're doing at the end of the day is translating their vision into the big screen. Ridley does it through pen and paper and other directors do it other ways. Production designers um, like Charlie Woods, who I had the pleasure to work with in certain Marvel films that we did. He's very good with uh, words and telling you how he wants it. And as soon as he sees a, a visual, he will make sure that you understand that that's like the color that he wants or that's the kind of shapes that he wants. Director, production designers, they are different individuals and they play to different strengths. So on the other hand, when you do have real interfaces as your starting point or with real data, how do you build on that? Like when you're you're working with NASA and when you're working on the Martian and you do have a lot of design that reflects at least some part of reality. In that case on the Martian, going back to Ridley, he wanted that to be precise. He wanted that to be something that if an engineer goes to the cinema, he does not feel like they're fooling him up you know this is yeah, something yeah, that, yeah. that can be real when we started you know getting in touch with nasa and getting all the references from them we quickly realized that design was not one of their priorities and i always say that it must be very difficult to have applied design to something that it's created to be extremely functional 
for us to apply that design into their systems in a in the most realistic way we as we could i think we discovered that that top layer covering everything also helps not only making it nice and making it look like more consistent but it helps to have things more organized to the eye and things like hierarchies helps on flagging things out quickly and again we do this because we need to make sure that everyone in the cinema understands what's happening and and i think they can see some value out of that and, and organizing that chaos that, that they have there. And we we organizing that chaos because it needs to tell a story for the audience, but also it needs to tell a story to an audience that maybe are not experts on what these guys are dealing with. Trying to explain something that is very complex to someone like my mom who needs to understand what's happening when... She goes to the cinema and... And the systems are definitely not functioning and everyone needs to get into the escape pods. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's building that narrative through graphics and I think that's what really excites us. Martinez, how long before takeoff? 12 minutes. Visibility is almost zero. Anyone gets lost, hone into my suit's telemetry. You ready? Ready! I know you fill in the blanks, and as designers, we do that, right? Like when we're imagining something that didn't exist. And yet, you have to create something that feels right and believable to that moment. Not necessarily real, to your point, but so how do you how do you do that? Lots of research, especially with things that they need to feel real. We learned a lot with the march, and we learned a lot with like this recent film that we just finished with Peter Berg. He wanted us to really understand uh, how the highest tech uh, in the military works for these drones, for this everything. I think your work, it helps create an, a fast emotional connection, right, between what just happened, what's about to happen, what you need to understand about the situation. And it has to be highly visual because it's a movie. What did it take to make that sequence and the interface in Prometheus, for example, when Elizabeth Shaw has to terminate her unwanted alien pregnancy? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I, I, I was involved in that, on that graphic, but reading that, like, you can see that she's not comfortable with it. So there's also, like, that human touch in the film when she's trying to do it and she does it wrong and she's trying to do it again. You see how she's stressed uh, in there for obvious reasons. I need cesarean. Error. This med pod is calibrated for male patients only and does not offer the procedure you have requested. Please seek medical assistance elsewhere. I mean, but that's the beauty about it. It's like it's that wall that's been created by Ridley. And, and for us, it's always about the vision of the director. And a lot of times, you know, we strive for simplicity. And I think that's not the case, maybe, in the work that you do. Simplicity isn't necessarily the goal. It's something else. Right. Let's start with something as complex as Iron Man. He is a human, but he's has developed that AI that helps him understand and, and helps him do everything uh, through the through the suit. And that's Jarvis, that assistant, that superpower. That's um, a machine. And the amount of data that a machine can digest per second is completely different to what a human can digest. So if, if a machine needs to be analyzing all the terrain and all that stuff, all that data needs to be 
fed up to that machine. And that's why some of those graphics have such an amount of, of data there and they are so dense. It's part of that character. And in another way, like, we do have to create graphics that are not for humans and therefore they were not designed by humans or maybe they were designed by someone from another galaxy and if we create something that makes sense to us we won't be answering the brief correctly because unless there's a very very similar way to do things in another galaxy the natural way to perceive those will be that we won't be able to read them and that's what may allow us to you know, have that fresh approach every now and then to say, let's create something that maybe makes no sense. And that's what we do it with the Guardians of the Galaxy that comes from elsewhere. That's very refreshing for us to totally. be jumping between these different worlds. When we're working with design of interfaces and design of technology, at the moment, we're often tasked with creating sense, making order, making meaning, and simplifying a way of interacting with technology, but that's not always the case in the work that you do. Well, I think it applies to the work that we do, but also it applies to everything. Like when something new is discovered, it's because it's never been experienced or it's never been seen or it's never been designed that way. We always use the process of getting inspired by other things that are not what we're trying to achieve. If you try to keep doing the same but better, you will never disrupt. Uh, you will never create anything new. Just doing it is the only way sometimes to realize if that works or not. Only by doing it, you will be able to know uh, if there's value there. And, and that's why sometimes it's very refreshing to be able to create things without having that purpose in mind all the time and invert that process versus functionality. And Yeah, exactly. How do you set yourself up in that mind space to make things that are new and that have not been seen before and that yet can be felt deeply by humans in this moment, or at least 12 months or 18 months ahead, depending on the schedule of your project? Well, I do think that everything is connected. I will start with my personal story about being surrounded by music since I was born because my dad is a musician. And just by analyzing some of the music, how it's composed, how a good composition will make sense and it will be nicely and easily perceived and how that impacts or how that's connected to composition in a, in a picture, in a painting. That happens the same with composition in architecture. It happens the same with furniture design, fashion design. Everything is composed in a way that is nice to the eyes, nice to hear, nice to digest for us humans. Therefore, if I get inspired by the composition that a building has and that can inspire maybe my next design for a console operator or something, maybe something as simple as that will be disruptive enough because everyone who's been designing for that console operator, maybe all of the previous designs, they were focused on previous console operator designs. And just by applying, again, the composition or... or getting inspired by something else and applying it to that field. You know, you could be looking at nature, you can be looking at patterns under sea creature colors that I always like find uh, very surprisingly, you know, inspiring. Only that will allow someone to just to apply like fresh ideas into the equation. One thing that I notice is that we seem to look to nature 
even when trying to imagine what it's like to design for an interface for cultures that we essentially know nothing about that are not human or not of this earth. Like, we still look to nature as an important source of inspiration. I think nature is, it looks very alien to us every now and then. I think I was reading the other day that maybe they think that the octopus came on an asteroid and landed here. And I, well, I love I, that idea. I'll, I'll believe that, <laughs> yeah. you know. They are extremely smart, clever creatures with a completely different complexity. and We don't even know what's inside of this planet. We don't even know how our brain works uh, 100%, you know. So maybe if we were looking deeper to some of these things, we'll be able to understand more. And I think that's why you find things in nature sometimes that are really, really exciting to just like digest and then transform into a different field and play with it. I remember that for Blade Runner, everything that the artists were getting inspired and, and everything was through different sections of fruit and seeing the different layers and scanning that in 3D. And again, just getting to that approach and say, okay, all the graphics and all the treatment that we will apply will have that feeling of that organic, especially because of the the narrative about like the protein and how the protein process things was very relevant to that case. But even something as simple as that, look at segments of fruit and, and get that into that screen design. Only that just gave a, a fresh take to that. So... With a new Blade Runner movie, assuming there's no reference in terms of data that existed, but you're still designing with reference in terms of existence? or I think with Blade Runner, the interesting part is that we had to think on a completely alternate future and, and therefore even an alternate present before that future. Mm. So that's very important mm-hmm. when we're designing again for... Other than humans, they probably had a different past, different present. Therefore, they will face a different future. But for Blade Runner, the interesting part is that we had to go back in time and imagine that when we had cell phones, when we had internet, all of a sudden all that, an event happened and all that stopped working. So, And then trace a completely different alternate route to a different present and therefore from that present imagine an alternate future so it's a completely different branch uh, and time and space let's say and that's you know that's a great challenge again sometimes I think the path that we have chosen so far is not necessarily the best one or the worst one you know we could have made complete different decisions a few years ago that will have put us in a complete alternate reality right now. And therefore, we will be imagining the future in a complete different way as well. So I think having that open mind about what happened is not necessarily what maybe could have happened. And just approaching this in a way that the opportunities are endless and they are different, I think that's very, it's a very refreshing approach. It seems to me really essential to the skill that you cultivate to be able to do that continuously, right? Which means doesn't holding on to any point of view or idea too specifically, but allowing yourselves to be influenced both by what we can understand about ourselves, about the human brain, about technology, uh, about the human condition right now, but not being attached to a 
just one belief about yeah. the past and the future. Well, I think it's always funny, right? When you look back and it's like, gosh, how are we doing it with that? You know? know. And a good example of the keyboard. Like the keyboard didn't change since it first existed, right? It's still the same thing. Maybe one day someone will invent something that's like, gosh, how we spent so many years with that keyboard, you know? Yeah. So I think something like that is what we're discussing here, like disruption and getting to find the new next thing that will make our life easier or better. So you mentioned that working with Hollywood, working in film, allows you to look broadly and ahead and to have no reference and, and to basically, you call it being disruptive or having new ideas. But at the same time, so much of the work that you do is in describing pretty dystopian futures. These are specifically in the future, and, and they, they really dominate, let's say, how we look at Right. It is true. Sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people like to make films about how bad everything could go. But to me, at least, how I see it is that there's a new thing, that's that innovation, there's that new light, and then someone sees the shadow, right? That's how I see it. Like, there's the light, which is that big opportunity, mm. this new technology that can help, and then we create that shadow, we project that shadow. Somehow, yeah, it's true. Like, the, the films focus on that shadow. To me, like, there's no shadow if you don't have the light. Without the new technology, without the new thing that someone invented, you know, that shadow won't be possible. Does it affect you as a team or as a person that you're deeply immersed in these worlds that are really challenging? Are you an optimistic person? I am, yeah, I am. I'm always seeing the bright side of things sometimes even too much. And it's really so difficult sometimes with some of these dystopian films that we have to tackle or like, you know, even like looking at realistic things, realistic scenarios that could happen with, you know, nuclear catastrophes or war. And we have to do lots of research on things that we want, you know, you want to be seeing every day. And uh, sometimes we're a bit scared about like maybe the FBI will knock on our door because our artists are looking about you know Russian spy yeah <laughs> well to look on the lighter side of that my friend and colleague Gabrielle Amen who's an advisor to FEMA has really seen and started to engage in including people who are able to paint pictures of the future for the purposes of recovery from natural disaster etc but also to create, to your point, alternate narratives, different versions of what futures could be. We did that uh, a few times, and one of the projects that we were doing last year was Project Avatar, which is how you can, through telepresence, be manipulating a robot in Tokyo from here for a good cause, right? Or maybe you're the best surgeon in the world, you can have five procedures a day without having to fly everywhere and it's like telepresence will help that if it's a natural disaster or something we can send these robots and, and one robot could be a pilot and the same robot can then swap to a medical guy who can know how to operate right there there's always that way of thinking like yeah this technology could be amazing but there are so many people that see like the other side. I guess you have to be real to both sides. New technologies can be used for good and for bad. That's always the case. Just, um, just like in the movies. Exactly. 
I love the idea that different pasts and presents can have different futures, and the design and storytelling are vehicles for imagining what could be. And when we're considering the potential for new futures, systems, and societies that are designed for all of us, it requires the ability to access a totally different mindset and gain inspiration from unconventional places. Thank you.